0: Well, Father, I just pray that today as we dig into your word that that would be literally what we are led to. We are led to the foot of the cross. We know that that is uh, one of the main things that we focus on, that Jesus' death on the cross was good for all of humanity, that if we put our faith and trust in Jesus, that we acknowledge our sinful ways and, and believe that Jesus died on the cross and believe that he rose again, that we'd be saved. So God, I pray today that you speak to us Uh, Through the power of your word, it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to James chapter 4. While you're turning to James chapter 4, I do want to remind you that we've been going through the book of James. We've been digging into uh, this letter to a church that had been scattered as a result of persecution. Uh, Many believers, I believe today that many believers desire to live an abundant Christian life. uh, But I believe also that one of the things that most believers struggle with is we can't figure out how. How do I live an abundant Christian life? And so James writes uh, this whole letter for believers to know that the the practical Christian living or that practical Christian living is possible. I believe that James is one of the most practical books in the Bible. It's something that all of us can look at, we can apply to our hearts, we can dig in and understand exactly what he desires for us. In other words, James is writing, and I want you to keep in mind the current circumstances and situations that are going on in our world, all right? I want you to keep in mind the the reality of what we see, both with the amount of, I'll say, rioters and protesters, along with the the chaos of the COVID stuff, along with a, a, a world right now that says, if I don't think like you, that you're automatically full of hate. And if you'll put yourself or put Christians in this context, it's just a matter of time when you and I will be lumped into a radical group of hate-filled people because we don't agree with or don't line up with the same thoughts or beliefs that other people have. All right? So, As a result, James should, I believe, bring on a whole new light. The reason James was written is because as a result of the persecution that was rising up against the church in the book of Acts, these people were scattered. So if you remember, the stoning of Stephen led to the group of people that had been meeting in Jerusalem to be scattered around the world because of persecution. And so James now writes this letter to the scattered church. If you go back to James 1.1, he says, I am writing this to the scattered church. The church has been scattered as a result of persecution. But I want to address some things today. I believe that, that I think go hand in hand with where we're at. And I find it, again... If you want to call it ironic or God willing, or the Lord willed this, that we're going through James at such a time as this, all right, that this is one of those books that when you read it, you're like, wow, it sure seems like a lot of what's going on in today's world is really what was going on in uh, the lives of the believers that James is writing to. As a matter of fact, today, as we jump into James chapter four, you have your Bibles, James chapter four, starting in verse one, follow along with me as we read. He says this, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. So you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. And then listen to what he says in verses four and following. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is what? Hatred Hatred toward God. I want you to keep that in mind as we jump into this, because anytime we allow worldly desires to jump in, we'll begin to see what ends up happening, that friendship with the world is hatred toward God. Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy. Of God? Or do you think that scripture says, without reason, that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. See, today, as we jump into this, this whole idea, a matter of fact, your Bible may say something to this extent, submit yourselves to God. But I wanna, I wanna look at the problem of worldliness because James, I believe, is addressing an issue within the church. And it was the problem of worldliness within the lives of the believers, within the lives of the early church. They were catering to, or they were letting worldliness kind of influence and infiltrate the church. Matter of fact, worldliness in the definition of of Tony Evans is this. It is an expression of the heart that does not authentically include God. In other words, when I allow worldliness into my life, it is an expression of my heart that does not authentically include God. In other words, it's inauthentic, it's not true, it's not real. So when I allow worldliness to infiltrate or, or be included in my thoughts and my actions, then what I'm showing is that those thoughts and those actions don't include God. And I know as you and I, or I know if we were to sit in this room, that we want to live our lives in a way that's going to please God. But I believe this is one of the struggles we face, most people want to live their life their way, and when they feel it's appropriate, they'll call on God. Or I'll say it this way, I want to live my life my way, and when I feel it's appropriate, God, I'll call out to you and I'll, I'll, I'll ask for help. Otherwise, leave me alone. Does that not sound like something that's going on? As a matter of fact, in reality, worldliness is strictly or, or, or simply independence from God. In other words, God, I don't need you. I don't want you. I don't want your help. I want my independence apart from you, away from you, and we're all good. James, I believe, is again correcting and challenging this group of believers. As a matter of fact, if you'll jump back to James chapter 1, starting in verse 19, he says this My dear brothers, everyone should be, anybody remember? Quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to anger. And we talked about this. One of the things we talked about, this whole idea of quick to listen, he says in in chapter one, verse 22, don't be merely listen or do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but rather do what it says. And so James chapter one, the rest of James chapter one, and all of James chapter two is talking about not being just mere hearers of the word, but being mere doers. And he says that faith without works is what? dead or useless. So be quick to listen. In other words, I listen to God's word, but I don't just listen to it. I do it. I live it out. Number two, he says, and I think that this is something we understand. He says everyone should be quick to listen. In other words, be a doer of the word. You should be slow to speak. In other words, we have to learn to tame the tongue. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about this. One of the struggles that most of us have is we love to just speak the truth. And listen, I'm one of them. I have been in the past, the guy who's like, you know what, I don't care if it's gonna hurt your feelings. I'm gonna tell you the truth. And what the Bible says right here is there is a time and a place to do that, but as a believer, you have to learn to control your tongue. Why? Because the tongue is a useless or restless evil. It's like a spark that starts a fire, a forest fire that just gets out of control, and we reap the consequences of that. So I have to learn to tame my tongue, and I believe wholeheartedly that based upon what's going on in our society and our culture, learning to tame the tongue is something that is vitally needed in everybody, not just believers, but in Everybody's life that I learned to tame my tongue and watch what I say. And then today we're going to jump in because I believe James chapter 4 and following it is going to talk about being slow to anger or slow to wrath. So I'm quick to listen by doing what God's word says. So I hear the word and I do it, I'm slow to speak that I learn that through the power of the Spirit, I can tame my tongue. And then I have to learn to be slow to anger. Now, we're gonna deal with this issue in, 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 in identifying what it means to be worldly because I think this is what James is getting to. In other words, this whole idea that many people want the convenience or the convenient use of God, my life, my way, until it's convenient for me to call upon God. And that is a sign of Worldliness, a matter of fact, if you remember anything, I want you to remember this. That worldliness is an expression of our heart that does not authentically include God. I said that just a little bit ago, but I'm saying it in a more specific way. Worldliness is an expression of our heart that does not authentically include God. As a matter of fact, maybe you've heard this in, in, in the past. Oh, it doesn't matter. Just follow your heart, right? It doesn't matter, just follow your heart. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse nine says, the heart is deceitful above all things. As a matter of fact, if I was to follow my heart at times, let's be honest, if I was to follow my heart at times, my heart at times is gonna say, you know what, you can knock that dude out. (laughs) Like he deserves it. Just knock his face off. And trust me, there's been plenty of times I'm like, okay, we can do this. Because deep down inside, my heart's going, do it, do it, do it. Take it out. Why? Because my heart is deceitful above all things. Who can understand it is what it says. Jeremiah 17, 9. And what we understand is this, that God says the only one who understands the heart is God. And so worldliness, when we say, go ahead and just follow your heart, worldliness is an expression of our heart that does not authentically include God. So in other words, it's an inauthentic, it's a false sense of hope when we deal with this. So here's my question, how do we identify worldliness? And I believe this, there's three things today that I want you to see that I believe help us identify worldliness in our lives. Keep in mind, James is writing to who? Who? scattered believers who were being controlled by worldly desires, worldly influences, worldly thoughts. All right, listen again what he says, because I believe this is it. How do we identify worldliness? Number one, worldliness is seen in desires that create conflict. Worldliness is seen in desires that create conflict. Listen again, what he says. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Now, I don't know about you, but I've been in enough fights and quarrels that I know usually what causes a fight and a quarrel. It's the fact that I expected to be treated in a certain way by somebody else and I didn't get what? I didn't get what I wanted. Matter of fact, it may be this issue in marriages. A lot of times in marriages, what ends up happening is we've got a person who has an idea and a thought about how they're going to be treated, maybe the husband or the wife, and then the other spouse says, I have an idea or thought or how I'm going to do the treating, and this person doesn't get treated the way this person, or this person doesn't get treated the way they expected, and this person's treating the way they thought they were supposed to be treating them. And at the same time, what ends up happening? So we have one up here expecting certain treatment, and the other one's right here expecting another treatment, and then there needs to be a middle ground, but in reality, what it does is it causes fights and quarrels. And so listen to what he says. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? In other words, what do they come from? They come from the desires that are deep down inside, from my heart. What causes a fight and quarrel when it's even amongst another brother? It's usually that I expected to be treated a certain way because I didn't get treated that way or talked to in a certain way. Then as a result, I'm gonna knock your face off. I'm gonna create more conflict. I'm gonna say stuff about you that maybe is gonna be hurtful or vengeful. And what we begin to see is this worldliness is seen in desires that create conflict. Listen to what he says. See, I believe the whole reality of what we're seeing here is that the job of the church is not to bring the world into the church, but to be sent into the world. But the problem oftentimes is that we want to let the the world influence or infiltrate our lives, and so as a result, conflict rises up. See, there's always going to be conflict, especially when God is not at the center of everything that we do but rather our selfishness is. So there was this ongoing conflict and these conflicts arise from the desires that battle within. Now you're gonna notice in this first part of James chapter four, it's talking about anger and things like that. Don't, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. What causes quarrels and fights among you? It's from the desires that battle within your heart. Here's what I love about James chapter four and you're gonna notice this. You're gonna see battle, the desires that battle within your heart. You're gonna see this idea that, that we place ourselves when we choose a certain way, that we place ourselves against God or as enemies of God. So there's this war that's being waged here in James chapter four that I believe that we're seeing wholeheartedly played out in our cultural context today. And so he says this, I want you to think about this. He says, don't they come from the desires that battle within you? That word desire is the same word we get our word hedon or hedonistic from. In the Greek, it's the exact same word. So in other words, a desire is this strong feeling of wanting or wishing for something to happen. It's a sinful, self-indulgent desire. So in other words, if I said, hey, this guy is a hedonist, Or this guy has hedonistic tendencies. It's a desire to lead towards evil ways, evil thoughts, evil desires, evil motives, and likewise evil actions. See, these desires create conflict that is pursuing a definite decision, but that definite decision is against God and for worldly desires. So what he says is, what causes quarrels and fights? A matter of fact, if you were to look at this, let's just say from the history of the church as a whole, if you were to look at this from the history of a church as a whole, what causes quarrels and fights among believers? Every time I've ever seen a quarrel or a fight, whether it's in a business meeting or a church split or something like that, it's usually based upon this. It's not because they were united around scripture. It's not because they were united in saying, we're gonna take the gospel to the ends of the earth. It was always based upon a person's preconceived idea of how certain things should be. And as a result, a quarrel and fight arose because others didn't agree with their belief, usually based on preference. Matter of fact, I would say 90% of the time based on preference. One of the things when we teach our, our new members class is this, we don't vote on everything. We don't feel a need to vote on everything. You wanna know why we don't vote on everything? Because everybody has their own opinion on paint colors to carpet colors to how certain things should be responded. And you know what the reality is? All we're doing is creating more conflict. We don't need to vote on everything. And so those are the beauties. Worldliness is seen in desires that create conflict. And listen to what he says, because I just want to jump into the first part of verse two. You want something and you don't get it. Do you hear that? So it's the idea that the source of your conflict comes from your desires, the pleasures that you want. Remember, we're going back to hedonism. A hedonist lives for their own self-satisfaction. And it's the idea of this, that when I would give in to this hedonistic evil desires or these tendencies, that I'm only doing it to please myself, not to be obedient to God. And I want you to think about it this way. Outward conflicts with others come from the selfish pleasures or desires that battle within you. An outward conflict with somebody else always stems from an inward desire that battles within you. I use it this way. If I was to have conflict with an individual, it usually stems around one or two things. Either they said something or they did something. As a result of them saying something or doing something to me, there begins to be a battle within my heart that says, that person should have treated you a certain way. Anybody ever been in this situation? But they didn't treat me that way. And since they didn't treat me that way, inside I begin to fume and I begin to boil and I begin to get mad. And as a result, I begin to get mad. I begin to think of everything I'm gonna tell that person the next time I see him. And it may be that very point in time where they didn't respond in a certain way. So guess what? I'm gonna let you have it. Now we're gonna jump back into James chapter three where I have to learn to tame my tongue under the power of the spirit. But because I've given in to worldliness, I don't tame my tongue. Instead, I lash out and I'll let him have it. And when I let him have it, what do I do? I create more conflict. And because I let him have it, it's just sin or wilderness rising up within me, learning to, to let it out, just let it out, vent it out, get it out. Matter of fact, the world is doing that right now. We're going after people to attack people. All based upon things that have happened in the past, atrocities that were honestly awful, but yet we're attacking our own people even to today. Worldliness is seen in desires that create conflict. And listen, here's one of the things we have to understand. Until we identify the conflict within, in other words, within our own hearts, we'll never be able to fix the problem on the outside. Until I identify the problem within, within my heart, I will never be able to fix the problem on the outside. And so here's what I wanna say from a bigger picture perspective. If I have problems in my, my marriage, in other words, I'm having conflict within my marriage, then I have to first look internally. See, here's one of the things. I've done multiple years of counseling and stuff when it comes to marriage problems and marriage issues. And it's usually this. The wife says, well, he never... And then he says, well, she never. And as a result, we create this broad divide, this conflict with inside. And what I usually try and do is go, where are you wrong? Look internally in your life as the husband. What have you done that is not biblical, that does not line up with God's word? How are you treating her? And then likewise, how are you treating your Husband, where are you wrong? Because when I begin to look internally first, then I can begin to look at the external things that are going on. The reason conflict arrives or rises up in a marriage is usually because the wife or the husband expects to be treated a certain way or to get certain things, but as a result of conflict, because maybe we don't communicate, there becomes more conflict. So there's this internal battle that's going on within my life and as a result, there are external battles that take place as well. So listen, worldliness is seen in desires that create conflict. As a matter of fact, First Peter chapter two verse eleven says this: "Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners, get this, as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul." You hear what he's saying? Don't give in to the worldly desires that wage war against your soul. Rather, verse 12 says this, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Listen, it's important that we understand what's taking place because we know that worldliness is seen in desires that create conflict and those desires are sinful desires that rise up within. So abstain from those sinful desires. Number two, we said this, worldliness is an expression of our heart that does not authentically include God. So how do we identify worldliness? We said, number one, worldliness is seen in desires that create conflict. Number two, worldliness is seen in wrong motives. Listen to what he says in verses Two and three. You want something, but you don't get. So listen to what he says. You kill and you covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasure. See, worldliness is seen in wrong motives. He's laying this out for us to understand. What are the motives behind why you do what you do? Listen to what he says, you quarrel and you fight. It is man's means by which we try and usurp the power and authority of God working in a situation. We take matters into our own hands. That's what he's saying. You kill and you covet, you quarrel and you fight. These are the great costs of the battle that wages within. Matter of fact, I want you to think about it this way. You kill and you covet. What does the thief come to steal, come to do? Sorry. Steal, kill, and destroy. I gave you the answer. I kind of jumped the gun. All right. If the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, in reality, when we see this play out, it says that you kill and you covet, you quarrel and you fight. What in reality are you doing? Are you working with God or are you working against God? When we allow quarreling and fighting or killing and coveting to rise up within, then what we're doing is we're working against God, not with God. We set out to kill our marriage through our actions or attitudes with what we do. Worldliness is seen in wrong motives. What is the motive out of this? Listen again what he says, you want something, but you don't get it. So as a result of not getting what we want, the desires that we want, the desires that wage war within us, then as a result, what do we do? We kill and we covet. In other words, maybe we destroy our marriage or maybe we destroy a relationship with somebody else because we have a covetous relationship towards someone else. In other words, we may look at it and go, well, I want a marriage like they have, and so as a result, I'm going to kill my marriage and go for a new one. You covet what you don't have, and so you kill whatever it is. See, because of the sin that is within, I now not only have a war within, but I begin to battle externally with others. Because of the sin that is within, I now not only have a war within, but I begin to battle externally with others. Listen, all of these things show the great cost of the battle that wages war within our own lives. And worldliness is seen when we show the wrong motives we have a matter of fact, I wanna jump over to Second Timothy chapter three real quick because I believe this is something we have to begin to understand. We talked about this just a little bit overall as we look at this, but this idea of what takes place and we have to begin to understand. And I believe as a believer, as followers of Jesus, that you and I need to be prepared. You need to be prepared of what could potentially be happening very soon. You know, I, I think it was about a year ago I preached, and I said, hey, I believe that persecution is going to come eventually, but I don't know when. And I believe that over the last three months, as a result of what is currently taking place in our society and in the culture, that I believe persecution is knocking on the doorstep for American Christians. I believe wholeheartedly that for pastors and or churches that stand up and say that is not acceptable, that is not according to the word of God, whether it's based upon sexuality or actions or anything else, that when you stand up and do that, that eventually it's gonna come knocking. I don't know if you recently saw this, this statement about this whole. And I have my own opinions, anyways, about uh, the white the the white Jesus with blue eyes. But I don't know if you saw what's currently going on with the statues and everything else, and the call for some to start tearing down statues of Jesus that are portrayed as white supremacists. But I want to know. I want you to know this: Jesus was not white. Jesus most likely did not have blue eyes. But I also want you to understand that that is just the beginning stages of what is going on in our world when they begin to attack those thoughts and those ideas and we begin to go after and lash out in ways that are not godly. Listen to 2 Timothy chapter three because I believe this lines up with what's going on. Worldliness is seen in wrong motives. Here are the motives of those who are godless or the godlessness that's gonna be a, bo- a result in the last days. Listen to this. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. What's that mean? It's not gonna be good. If I could take the word terrible, if you said it was the most terrible experience I have ever been through, you realize it's not good. It's bad. And he says wholeheartedly, there will be terrible times in the last days. Now listen. People will be lovers of money, or sorry, people will be lovers of themselves. They will be lovers of money. They will be boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents. They will be ungrateful, unholy, without love. They will be unforgiving slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And he says very clearly, have nothing to do with them. Listen, one of the things that Timothy, or that Paul's talking about to Timothy is this, this is going to be believers, and I believe wholeheartedly we begin to see this beginning to take place. I believe wholeheartedly that we've seen over our cultural circumstances and what we've seen even in many churches and things like that, that people will be lovers of themselves. I have had people literally tell me, I don't care what the Bible says, this is where I line up. At which point I just want to walk away and go, good grief, let me get away from you before the Lord strikes. What we begin to understand is that worldliness is seen in wrong motives. And James is coming down very harshly here on a group of believers who have been scattered as a result of persecution, but at the same time are letting worldliness infiltrate them. Remember their motives. If you go back and we talk about favoritism, they were given preferential treatment to the rich and they were neglecting the poor. They would give the rich a primary seat of importance and they would look at the poor and go, you have nothing to do with us. Wrong motives within the church and wrong motives within the body of believers is nothing more than worldliness. And so wrong motives stem from an impure heart that come from selfish desires and pleasures that we have internally that we don't receive because we ask with wrong motives. Listen to what he says again, and I think this is something that we begin to understand. Most of the time, believers like to take matters into their own hands, We ask God out of selfish pleasure while pretending to ask for unselfish reasons. That's what he says to these people. He says, you kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have, and here's what he says. You don't have. Why do you not have? Because you don't ask God. You don't have it because you don't ask God. And, however, when you do ask God, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives. What is the motive? That I can spend what I get on my own self. You hear what he's saying? Your desire is for yourself more than for God. Your desire is for selfish self-satisfaction rather than the righteousness of God. You have, and what he's saying is this, that you have one of two problems— You don't ask, in other words, you have a non-existent prayer life, or you ask with wrong motives, asking God to accommodate your sin. Did you hear what I just said? Usually, we do not get what we ask for, or we do not get from God, because either, number one, we don't ask, in other words, we have a non-existent prayer life, or number two, we ask with wrong motives. In other words, we ask for selfish reasons or selfish gain. You're asking God to accommodate your sin. Listen, I believe that this is one of the biggest struggles the church faces most often. And the reason why I bring this up is all you got to do is start talking about tithing and you find out real quick where somebody's heart is. All you got to do is start talking about godly desires and living a life that is God-honoring and saying that God is not acceptable of these things, and people begin to go, who are you to tell me I can't do that? Who are you to tell me that I have to live a sexually pure life? Who are you to tell me that pornography is not something I, I, or is something that I can't do? Who are you to tell me that this is how I have to live? God needs to get with the times because the times have changed when all that is is selfish satisfaction. It's the wrong motives. And so he says, worldliness comes in when we have wrong motives. But I want you to see this, and I wanna remind you of this, James chapter one, verse 17. God is the provider of all things good. Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of heavenly lights. Listen, when we get what we pray for, we get it because God has given it to us first and foremost. Why? Because God is good. He is the good father. He is a God who gives us and it's coming down from the father of heavenly lights. So I want you to understand this. Worldliness is seen in wrong motives, but I want you to also know this, that the level of your prayer life will always determine the level of your spiritual success. The level of our prayer lives will always determine the level of our spiritual success. Going back again to what he says, that my motivation oftentimes is on the wrong thing. It's on my pleasures. And so your motivation, if it's on your pleasures, is not on the righteousness and glory of God. It's rather on selfish things. So worldliness is an expression of our heart that does not authentically include God. So we said it, number one, worldliness is seen in desires that create conflict. Number two, worldliness is seen in wrong motives. And number three, I believe this, that worldliness is seen in wrong allegiance. Where is your allegiance to? Or who is your allegiance to? Listen to what he says in verses 4 and following and I just want to reiterate a couple things. You adulterous what? Now this this should be the wake-up call. Because you and I know that if I said, "Hey, such and such has an adulterous wife or such and such has an adulterous husband," you would automatically go, "What a jerk." What a rude, sinful, ungodly person. And listen to what James is saying to a group of believers. What's he call them? You adulterous people. You have chosen the things of this world over the things of God. Adulteress carries this whole idea of being unfaithful, being cheating. Adultery, listen, is always tied to idolatry. In other words, I idolize someone or something to the point of being intimate with them rather than with God. Adultery is always tied to idolatry. And as a result, when we idolize someone or something to the point of being intimate with them rather than intimate with God. And so listen to what he says. Friendship with the world is hatred toward God. You know, there was a long time ago, it says that you're either with us or against us, right? Right? But that's literally what God is communicating to the church. That's what James is trying to understand. Church, you have to understand this, that if you give in, you are an adulterous person. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? But I find it ironic that oftentimes in the church, we're willing to say, that's okay. That's a worldly idea, it's a worldly thought, that's worldly wisdom, but we have let worldly wisdom creep into the church instead of obedience to God. And so as a result, James is literally saying, you adulterous people, don't you know that being friends with the world is hatred toward God? When we allow worldly thoughts, desires, and teachings to creep into the church, We have now made ourselves listen. As a result of that, not only are we showing that that that's hatred toward God, but listen what He says: Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes a what? An enemy of God. Remember what we talked about earlier, this whole idea of battle that wages within me, the war that's going on outside. But as a result, when we allow the worldly things and the wrong allegiance to creep into our heart, then as a result of that, we become enemies of God. A person who is against God's righteousness, God's purpose, and God's direction in everything that's going on. So worldliness is seen in wrong motives, but worldliness is seen in wrong allegiance. Who is your allegiance to? See, Christians can put themselves where they are enemies with God based upon the desires they follow of the world and not God. When we seek after our own selfish desires, we lose, listen, our first love for God. Go back to Revelation chapter 2, and he's writing to the church at Ephesus, and he says, you've forgotten your first love. And when the church has forgotten his first love, which is God and God alone, then as a result, God says, I will remove my lampstand from you. Why? Because you've allowed worldly teachings. You have allowed worldly thoughts. You have allowed worldly desires to creep in, to be the primary focus in your heart. See, they were giving to the world the love and devotion that belonged to God and God alone. And so James just comes down hard, And what I want you to understand is this: there is no middle ground, there is no gray area. First John chapter 2, verse, one, uh, verse 15 says this, "Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love for the Father is not in them." when we allow worldliness to creep into the church, when we allow worldliness to creep into our hearts and our minds and our relationships because we give in to, listen, the evil desires that wage war within us, then we become enemies of God. Now, I want to give you some good news because I want you to understand this. I believe this is important for all of us to understand. In the times that we're in, that we stand on the truth of God's word, that all people were created equal. It doesn't matter their color. It doesn't matter where they were born or what they've been born under, that everybody is created equal. We see that in Genesis chapter one. But we have to understand this, that our allegiance is to God and God alone, to no other, no other person, no other individual. And listen to what he says. Here's the good news that he gives. He says, do you think that scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? In other words, when I'm a believer and a follower and I put my faith and trust in Jesus and I acknowledge that Jesus is the only way, that he infiltrates me, he comes into my life, that the spirit becomes a part of me. And it says that the spirit envies intensely. What does he envy for? Godliness righteousness, holiness, God first, other second, me third, worldly desires are last. And so the good news here is this. In verse six, that as a result of what is waging war within us, the spirit envies intensely, but listen, God gives us grace even more. It says he gives us more grace And it says wholeheartedly that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So, how do I deal with worldliness in my life? Listen to me, and I think this is something we all have to understand. We deal with it with humility. And what I mean by that is this that we look and we go, God, I realize that the pride in my life has welled up inside of me to where I've said, God's got to get with the times. God has to understand that he has to change, not me. But humility, true humility, says this. God, this is the standard you've called me to. This is the primary focus that I'm to be focused on. That is your righteousness and your holiness in my life and that I live that out. Why? Because God gives us grace. And it says he gives us even more. So how do we deal with worldliness? We deal with it, listen, without pride, and with great humility. That God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. See, the test isn't what you have in your pocket or in your mind. The test is who do you have in your life? Who have you made king of your heart in a humble circumstance and situation because the spirit of God has one single desire. And that is to mold us into completely devoted people who follow Jesus no matter the cost. Are you ready to follow Jesus no matter the cost? Are you ready maybe for the first time to give Jesus your life completely, unashamedly, to say that I'm not gonna give in to the worldly desires, that I know that these desires are gonna wage war in my life. Why? Because it says they are. The fights and quarrels that battle among us as believers but within us as well always stem from the evil desires that rise up in our heart that are not put there by God. But they are put there because our heart is deceitful above all things. They are put there because our nature runs to sin first and foremost. And that's all the more reason why we need Jesus more and more every day in our life. Here's what I wanna do. I wanna close with prayer. We're gonna have the praise team. They're gonna come up and, and they're gonna lead us out. They're just gonna play as we do this. But I wanna encourage you right where you're at to just pray, God, you, you reveal to me in my life what is the things that I have been giving into What are the worldly desires that are misleading me? What are the evil desires in my heart that are causing pride to well up inside? Am I looking at it from a humble circumstance? God, matter of fact, I would even say this, pray that God would humble you, that he would reveal to you what it is in your life, maybe that you have chased, that you have given into, that is a worldly desire. Father, we pray for great wisdom, In this, we pray for heavenly wisdom, as you said in chapter three of James, that we would not be overwhelmed or burdened by the worldly wisdom, but we would be led by heavenly wisdom, the wisdom that comes down from God and God alone. Father, we pray for that wisdom, that we would not chase after that worldly wisdom, but we would chase after your desires, because we know that the desires within us are waging war within our life. And as a result of giving in to the worldly desires, we become enemies of you. God, we want to be on your team and on your side. We want to be led by your spirit. We want to be changed by your word. And we want to be holy and righteous and redeemed because you have made us that way. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As they prepare... Uh, to play this song, I do want to let you know we've been revealing this or kind of letting this out. We talked about last week. If you are interested, we are are beginning to go with uh, uh, the new planning center, uh, giving. And so as you are dismissed here in like the next 30 seconds, we're going to have the ushers back there with the offering plates, Um, If we can get them out and do that, you can give your offering that way. If you're wanting to give online, we're encouraging you. So you can go and download the church center app. Then when you log into that, you'll be able to create an account. All right. When you log in, you'll look up our church and you'll be able to give through the app. Pretty soon, we'll be able to have it where you can text to give and kind of see it up there. It's not showing up so well, Uh, but you'll be able to, what's that? Yeah, text to give is set up. Oh yeah, sorry, text any dollar amount uh, to the number 84321 um, and that'll identify what's going on or you can set up recurring giving on the account once you set that up and you can give online that way. I know a lot of people are starting to go uh, to do this more and more on on everything that's going on. But We wanna encourage you, that's one way to give. Let me pray and you'll be dismissed. Father, as we're dismissed, be with us this week. Let your spirit lead us and help us be obedient in every circumstance and situation. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.